And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. We're back with our MotoGP chats. It's the only thing that's a constant here in 2022, and that's us talking about it. Simon Patterson, Valentin Harunchi, join me, Toby Moody, to talk about the huge variable that is MotoGP this year, because we've had nine different podium men after the first nine podium places so far this season. It just shows what this year, hopefully, is going to be all about. But the big news is that Alicia Spargaro has won a Grand Prix for the very first time for him and for the first time ever for Aprilia in the top class of GP racing. Simon, cards on the table. You know Alicia away from the paddock. Your buddies with him. What a day it was. Absolutely incredible. Um, I'm, I'm, I know we, we're not supposed to have favourites, but I am so happy for the guy and I'm so happy for the team around him. Um, he's someone that wears his heart in his sleeve. It is sometimes a massive detriment to him. Uh, but the flip side of that is that yesterday we just got to see so much raw emotion. Um, you know, and he's racing for an Italian team full of very Italian people, and they're no different. And it was just, yeah, it was just an awesome day for them. Val, vindication for Aprilia, surely? Yeah, vindication for Aprilia. But honestly, the the one that interests me more is is vindication for Alation that it finally ends the the stupid goddamn stat that he never won a race in any Grand Prix class because that. Having come to to know his level of performance in MotoGP, that is absurdly unrepresentative. The man has slaughtered a whole bunch of really competitive teammates at Aprilia. He is absolutely good enough to have won a race at some point somewhere. At this point, he is definitely in the top echelon of MotoGP riders. Maybe not at the very, very top, but he is really, really good. So finally... Finally, the results finally represent that. Aprilia have been favourites of the paddock for the older school. Loris Reggiani riding a 250 at Mazzano. That was when the circuit went the other way round. It was so long ago in those 90s pastel colours like a footballer's tracksuit of the time. Then the high point of Max Biaggi winning three 250cc titles in 94, 5 and 6. Ivano Beggio was the grand master of the company whenever he visited the tracks at Mugello or Imola. There was a parting of the crowd in the paddock. He was like an Enzo Ferrari of two wheels wherever he walked. Doriano Romboni first brought Aprilia into the top class in 96. I always thought it was a 410cc V-twin two-stroke. I've since learned this morning doing a bit of homework, it was even a 380cc, a very big oversized 250. It even got a podium at Aston in 97. But the whole V-twin thing never really worked against the V4s. But... Come the MotoGP era that started in 2002, they appeared with the Cosworth-based three-cylinder, the RS Cube. It was a screaming banshee of a thing. 
225 horsepower, six injectors, pneumatic valves, new to MotoGP at this point, ride-by-wire throttle, and don't forget, it was in a lower weight category, so only weighed in at 135 kilos. They had good budget. Colin Edwards, Laconi, McWilliams, Shaky Byrne, but it didn't really work. They went away. They came back in 2015, hand-in-hand hand with Grassini, with Bradl, Bautista, Melandri, Sam Lowe's. Alicia Spargaro joined the squad in 2017, so he's now in his sixth year with them now. Iannone, Redding, Smith. And let's not forget Lorenzo Savadori, who was on the bike only even this time last year. But, and Simon and Val have mentioned his name so much of late, Massimo Rivola. In 2009, he was at Ferrari. He was a sporting director with Alonso and Vettel. But in 2016, he became director of the Ferrari Driver Academy, contributing to the launch of Charles Leclerc's career into the top series Formula One. Now, as Spargro has said of Rivola, with the arrival of Massimo, everything started to change. So I believed in the project. And finally, I think that we deserve this because we worked very, very hard. Has he really got, Simon, something about him, Rivola, from another world coming to two wheels? Uh, spoke to Massimo last night, directly after the race, um, directly after the press conference. And I, I said to him, you know, obviously Alicia said this, what, what do you think? And he said, no, 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 Alicia's completely wrong. Um, his argument is that he isn't the change, but whenever he joined the team, he brought people into the team. And um, he says it's the people he brought with him that have made the change. It's not him, which is, which is quite typical of Massimo, really. He's quite a, a humble guy. That's not really something to be surprised to hear from Rivola. Um, but I, I think it it very much contributes to the notion that this is not the success of one or two people. This is a massive team effort, more than any other manufacturer. Um, you know, the, there's there's not many riders who, when they win a race, thank the guys back in the factory by name because they don't know the guys back in the factory by name. But that's exactly what we saw with Alesh yesterday. Um, there was a video yesterday uh, just before the start of the race of him arriving in the garage and he walked through the box and basically high-fived everyone in the garage or fist-bumped or, you know, both sides of the garage, the guys in the back of the ground that you never see, the data engineers, everything. Um, and and that, that is what their team is built of. Um, it's a relatively small team. It's a strong team. But... Um, it, there's not one person who's responsible for it. I think everyone would agree to that, including Alish. Uh, Massimo obviously uh, has had some form of impact, but it, you know, it's clear he doesn't design the bike. The person who's you know responsible for that chiefly is Romano Desiano, and part of part of the factor that's been cited for improving Aprilia's fortune is that Albesiano was now free instead of dealing with the team manager side of things to focus on the engineering side of things, which he clearly prefers and thrives in. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's never one person. Like, you know, it, it clearly takes a whole, whole lot of people to design a better bike. And the, the chief, the chief factor in Aprilia's improvement is that this RSGP is infinitely better than the RSGP they had three years ago that Aleish was was constantly breaking down under Aleish he was constantly falling off of he 
loathing life absolutely on it. And, you know, they brought him a better bike. This is a very, very, very good MotoGP bike. And that's, you know, that's never one person's doing. So it's, it's, it's not a simple answer. It's not a, a sexy headline answer. But it's just, you know, they, they got more people in. They got more budget in. They got a better bike. Well done. Technically, they've changed from a 75-degree V4 to a 90-degree V4, just the same as Honda, just the same as Ducati. KTM is an 86-degree V4. So they made that change, and it's all started to go in the right direction, as we saw yesterday. Um, what other vibes were coming out of the, the garage, back of the garage? Did they even have a chance to pack the freight because they were already on the beers, Simon? Um, Rivola actually said something really interesting to me last night. He said, we've won earlier than expected. This is not a good thing because they've had a schedule. They, they've had a plan for we're going to win by the second half of 2022. We're going to use that to build off for a 2023 season. And now there's a huge amount of expectation in their shoulders because they've went and done it at only the third race of the year. And people are, are going to expect them to maintain that form. The the, the sort of the joking uh, example he gave was that if we won Valencia at the last race of the year, everyone would spend all winter saying, well, Aprilia had a great season. But He's right. if they don't win again until Valencia, yeah. no one's going to remember that they won right now. So they've they've got a bit of pressure on their shoulders. But... They're a team who, uh, and this is another thing he alluded to in the, the interview that we did, um, he's a team, they're a team who, they've always taken an energy from their successes. And there's been an awful lot of successes in the last two years. If you measure their successes in a, not necessarily in a track performance way, but if you look at the gap to the winner, if you look at the signing of Maverick Vinales, if you look at Alesha's first podium, obviously, there, there's been this like incremental change within the team. Um, and, and in reality, the, the race, the win yesterday was just another example of that because it's something we've been talking about for, what, a year now that it's expected almost. So it, it's, it doesn't add the pressure he thinks. Um, perhaps the only surprising thing about it is the way in which Alesha won. Um, I think we all expected Aleish would win a race, but we thought he'd win a last lap scrap at Phillip Island or Assen. We didn't think he'd take pole position lap record, uh, you know, easy race win the way that he did. Yeah, I agree. Because uh, I think when when it became a two two day weekend, both of us sort of pointed out that oh, this might be quite good for Aprilia because that's a bike that's always really good out of the box. But I'm, I'm not sure how things how different things would have been on the three day weekend. I mean the the weekend wore on and on and on, but it didn't look like the Aprilia got any worse. Maybe it was the like the weakest it's been. Maybe it was in the race, arguably, but it still, you know, it still was plenty, plenty good to win that race. Uh, and he clearly still had more in reserve than basically anybody else on the grid. He he had more than than Jorge Martin, who put up a really really good fight. So th there's one thing that sort of entertained me, and it's this this Aleish had this very fun chip on his shoulder about the success and that he pointed out all of the all of the riders who have rejected Aprilia over the years so obviously referring to 
Well, he was referring to the young guys, so that'll be like Joe Roberts, Marco Bezzecchi, Fabio Di Antonio, probably some of the other guys. But you can also lump in sort of Davicioso, Lorenzo, Cal Crutchlow into that mix. And, I mean, who, who could have known? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a fair question to ask. Even when the new bike came in, who could have known? Because in 2019, Aleix himself admits he was pretty, pretty close to walking out. So... Yeah, but I'm, I, you know what? I'm glad he's drawing motivation from from that kind of thing because it is fun, and he it really is a proper company man. He he courted a lot of riders for that other ride before getting the guy he he really wanted in Maverick, helping get him, helping convince him to come over. So you know, well done. I'm glad he's reaping the initial success of the Aprilia. Certainly, it's funny what you say about um, about you know those those years where things were difficult. Um, one of the things he said yesterday in his, in the press conference after the race was that his his long 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 time assistant Juan La Cueva uh, he said to him yesterday that he said that Juan had been super nervous yesterday and that you know he was really tense going into the garage. Juan came to find me afterwards and was like, "This guy, like he's lying. I was fine yesterday. Like there was no pressure in our garage whatsoever because." There's no pressure whenever you're starting a race expecting to win it. The pressure that we've had at Aprilia is the days whenever we didn't know if he'd be able to score points, like three years ago. And there was no pressure yesterday because they were the favourites. And that's a, it's a good position to be in. But it, it hasn't been an easy one to get to. Remember when the bike would run out of fuel like every every other time? What a, that was great times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, dark days, difficult days. But every sportsman comes across this, that there are days when you just know you're going to win. And it's that ultimate fine line between turning up at a racetrack, athletics track, marathon, Grand Prix racetrack, with the confidence that you know you're going to win and the arrogance that you think you're going to win or whatever. And it's a fine line. And those who get it absolutely spot on and they realise today is my day, that psychological lift, it's very much... A cycling thing as well the bike is five percent of the job the psychological aspect is 95 percent of the job and and that i look at it that it was his day he did so well in the warm-up yesterday morning it was his it was his sure he made a couple of mistakes at the end of the back straight got suckered in a little bit by jorge martin but martin he shook his hand on the cooling down lap and went hey mate you beat me you beat me well he's a killer he's a killer that's what martin said wasn't it the other way so, around actually to, yesterday was uh, his Aleish day. said Martin was a killer, and he is right because sure. I, I do think Aleish was very mentally steadfast in believing he could win and being undeterred by the couple of mistakes that he had trying to close down Martin and follow him close and being undeterred by the turn five mistakes. But he, he could have lost. He absolutely could have lost because Jorge Martin was very clever in how he fought Aleish and very, very consistent in the laps that he was turning and very good at defending on the brakes. So at a certain point... In MotoGP, when you follow a Ducati a bunch and you keep trying to pass it and you just can't because on the straight it, it screws you over, uh, it's easy to let your shoulders drop. So Aleish did very well not to allow that. I'm very impressed because a lot was riding on this in terms of, honestly, his potential legacy. He'd never won a race in any class before this. And he, he should have. He deserved it. And there we have it. Uh, there was a point yesterday for the sort of second half of the race where I was pretty sure that the only person who could beat Aleish was Aleish, not Jorge Martin, because he was, he looked like someone that was on the line. He looked like he was on the edge. He looked like it would have been very easy to make a mistake. And 
there is probably a point in the recent past or the relatively recent past where that's something that we would maybe have expected of him. Um, but he has turned into a more resilient rider as a whole. Um, and we saw that yesterday. Martin is not someone I would like to get in a knife fight with uh, on a MotoGP bike. Like, he's, he's just not. He's, he's someone that can go nuclear. Um, you know, the, the interview I did in Qatar with Jorge Lorenzo, Jorge Lorenzo described him as the most explosive rider in MotoGP. And, and that's exactly why he's not the person you want to scrap with. But Aleix controlled it perfectly. And it really did look like, um, like it was a confidence thing. Um, if you if you watched uh, Toby, I don't know if you said it or not, or if any of our listeners did, the Tour of Flanders cycle race was on at the weekend. And Matthew Vanderpoel went into the race looking like he was the favourite to win it. He got to the finish line and he just completely outfoxed uh, Teddy Pikachu, who is like the unbeaten king of cycling at the minute. It's like mine, the mind of Mark Marquez. And, and that is what Leish did yesterday. He just nailed it. Where did, where did Lance Armstrong finish? <laughs> Stop it! He's, he's going to Texas later. Don't be. Do right. not genuinely. Uh, do not be surprised if you see Alishite cycling with Lance Armstrong in the next three days. Live strong. They, they're, they've trained together. I showed Lance Armstrong around the KTM garage back in 2017. Um, <laughs> sponsorship. What's the kind of budget that Aprilia have got? Where Where do you think they're at? Nobody knows in this conversation precisely the numbers, but what's the What's the vibe? Do you reckon, Simon? Uh, lower end of the scale. For sure. Um, probably a little bit more than Suzuki, but a little bit or quite a bit less than everyone else. If I was to put that, you know, they're, they're, they're probably fifth in the budget stakes and they're probably spending more than half of what, say, KTM and Honda are spending. This is not a massively. So they're at 2025. Yeah. Yeah. About that. 25 million yeah, euros. about that. Okay. Probably a, a little bit more. Honda will be knocking on the door at 65, well, even Honda, 70. Honda are paying that just for Mark Marquez's yeah. contract every yeah. year. That you is. know? <laughs> That's the difference here. We know the KTM, that Red Bull yeah, and KTM are yeah. chucking 50 into the pot. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, you, you go to... I've been to Noali loads of times. They're one of the few teams that are more than happy to let journalists into the race department. And it's not a big setup. It's, you know, there's parts of it that are quite old and dingy because it's the same garages that they've been using since the 250 days. And the floors are not beautifully, um, beautifully like plastic poured like they are in KTM. Epoxy resin. Yeah, they're, um, they've got like a sheen of two-stroke oil that's been embedded into them over the last 40 years. You know, it's it's not a fancy race department, but they make it work. They do, they do. And I hope they've got a Chesterfield 250 out in reception as well, because that's still just just They so do. Cool. Mate they of mine's do. got one, a road version, <laughs> and he was thinking of selling it. I've sworn at him and said, don't you dare, don't you dare sell it, because that's just doing... 200 miles now and it's standing still um uh, any other little sort of moments that you saw yesterday after the race you know those behind the back of the garages mechanics from other teams dropping in what other things did you see the the whole paddock is delighted for Alish. um that's pretty apparent um we, you know, we, we saw Paul, who had a difficult day, come to the winner's enclosure and see his brother. We saw Paul sitting in the garage with tears running down his face when Elijah crossed the line, which was really nice to see. 
Um, and there was a really, really nice moment in the press conference. Um, if you saw on my Twitter, I, I tweeted to jokingly say that Alesh had been elected the president of Andorra in the press conference. And it's because both Alex Rins and, and Jorge Martin started telling stories about how when they came to Andorra, he's the guy that took them under their wing. He, I think he, he put up Jorge Martin in his apartment for a while. He trained with them. He showed them around. Uh, the first time I ever met Jorge Martin, um, Alesh, I was in Andorra doing a feature and Alesh said uh, after the interview, he said, I'll come for dinner tonight to my restaurant because um, he, he owns a, a Japanese restaurant in, in Andorra La Vea. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll organize a table for you. I can't come, but I'll organize a table for you, blah, blah, blah. So we got there, myself and my photographer, Gareth, and uh, he had sent Jorge Martin along because Jorge didn't have many friends in Andorra at the time. So he came and had dinner with us. Um, and, and that says a lot about Leish. That's the sort of guy that he is. Um, you know, the, there's maybe a perceived notion among some fans that he's not the most liked guy in the paddock because he's the most vocal guy. But he's one of those people that you can't help but like. Um, and I think everyone is genuinely pleased for him. And, and that really came across yesterday. He, he, I think even you'll get this, Simon, Val will. Uh, he's a kind of the Rubens Barrichello of, of MotoGP. Utterly heart on his sleeve, burst into tears on the podium in Park Ferme, wringing his other half from Park Ferme before he spoke to Simon. You know, it's just that bloke is just a normal guy. He's not got a driver, doesn't do up his own shoelaces. Uh, you know, he, he's in the real world. He, he said after the race, um, we, had, we had a good chat, just the two of us after the race, and he said, um, you know, yeah, like it's nice. I've won a MotoGP race, but it doesn't really change anything because the, the thing in my life that I really wanted was a wife and a family that loved me. And I got that three years ago. So, you know, yeah, it's mm. lovely. It's a trophy, but it's only a trophy. I just, I just have Feet to mention, on the ground. I just have to mention that Rince called him the daddy of us, which is both sweet and very funny, <laughs> objectively funny. Because <laughs> he well. was that on Sunday in, in the race. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the other thing that uh, Aleix Spargaro can say is that he beat Jorge Martin in a straight fight in a dry race because one day Jorge Martin will be MotoGP world champion. So, you know, it's not just about the trophies, about beating somebody on the day. Aprilia Grand Prix winners in MotoGP, not a dry eye in the garage after Argentina. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Argentina MotoGP may well have been a two-day event due to the flight delays and broken aeroplanes, meaning that there was no running at all on the Friday due to a whole 747 of freight arriving late. It's a long story. It meant that it was a rushed day on Saturday after a lot of freight then arrived uh, just after midnight Saturday morning. Some of the mechanics did a, what, a 20, 21-hour day on Saturday. Um, they got away with it, Simon. But just answer me this, if you can, because you were across it more than most. It wasn't a back-to-back race. Why did it take so long to get from Indonesia to Argentina without it being a back-to-back race? So multiple problems. Um, One, the first problem, the the reason that the whole thing took so long the first time, um, one is because it's a really, really long way to go. Uh, like it's the other side of the enough. football, isn't it? It's literally the other side of the world. Literally the other side of the world. Um, people and two two remote tra- uh, remote tracks from international both tracks airports. a thousand kilometers yeah. from the nearest international airport. Um, both tracks with airports where you can't take off. You can't put as much fuel into the plane as it'll physically hold and take off because the runways aren't full international length. Um, we're talking cargo planes, so. It's not like a passenger plane where they can fly uh, 14,000 kilometers on a full tank of fuel because all that's on board them is people. We're talking about freight. It's dense. It's heavier. They have shorter range than what you're used to to fly to wherever on your holidays. Uh, And they're old planes, which are less fuel efficient. They're always passenger planes are always older than uh, passenger planes because most of them are converted passenger planes. So they're, they're, they're less fuel efficient. So that was all fine. There was, oh, and then there's the the fact that Tucumán, the nearest airport to the circuit, is quite small. So there's only so many planes that can physically be on the ground at once. So you have to stagger your arrivals. So I think I was at Tucumán during Dakar. I don't remember which one of them it was, but those Argentina airports, the local ones, they're (laughs) small. They're they're real small. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, So... All of those factors meant that there was a, a schedule of arrivals. Then one of the planes that was due to arrive was a, a 747 cargo plane, a, a very old 747 cargo plane. It was 38 years old, um, flying from Indonesia to, or flying from Europe to Africa to Indonesia and then across to Argentina. It got to Africa, to Mombasa and Kenya, and it broke down. So they sent, uh, there was another plane from the same company that was slightly younger. It was doing the same route. So whenever it got to to Indonesia, or to, sorry, to Argentina, they then sent it back to Africa, back to Indonesia, filled it up with all the freight that the first one was supposed to collect, flew it from, and this is the sort of complicated route that comes from, from these cargo operations. It flew from Lombok to Colombo in Sri Lanka, to Mombasa in Kenya, where it then broke down again. <laughs> we then had to wait on parts arriving from Europe to fix it, which finally happened on uh, Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, quite late. Um, and then it flew from Mombasa in Kenya to uh, Lagos in... in uh, Oh man, I've had a country blank in Nigeria. Nigeria. Lagos in Nigeria. And then yeah. from there to Salvador in Brazil and from there to to Tucumán in Argentina. Um a long way around the world. 
Um, so yeah, it did just, it took a long time. Our freight arrived at like 2 a.m. on Saturday morning. Uh, the first mechanics were in the paddock, half two, three o'clock. I was there about four o'clock um, to see it all happening and it all finally came together. And yeah, it's quite remarkable, really. Team Grassini didn't have any of their MotoGP freight whatsoever. Uh, other teams, some of my colleagues at KTM, they VR46. had... V- VR46 yeah. had nothing. Yeah. So, so yeah, VR56 had, had absolutely nothing. Uh, the, some of my old colleagues at KTM, they were missing a few freight boxes, but they was chairs and the printer and it didn't really matter. So we did not have a fair playing field at all. The, the three championship leaders in all three classes didn't have motorbikes. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, is it going to be all right? Million dollar question for Texas this coming weekend. Yeah, yeah it should be. So the, the schedule is tight. Um, MotoGP teams have told, been told they're not allowed into the paddock until Wednesday afternoon and Moto2 and Moto3 teams until Thursday afternoon as their freight arrives. So it will be tight. But that's that's this time it's solely because of uh, the thing with the, the, the size of Tucumán, basically, because um, the flights are staggered out. Um, I will post, for those of you that enjoyed the flight radar tracking, I've got all the flight details, so I'll post it over the next few days. But the good thing is that we're no longer using Aerostan and their 38-year-old fleet. Um, we're now using a, an American company that we normally use called Atlas Air, um, who are a massive American military contractor who are super reliable, who do this stuff all the time. And, you know, um, the, the the Kyrgyzstani airline that we were using had three planes and we were using the youngest two, whereas Atlas have like a fleet of, of 80 747s. So it's much more reactive. There won't be the same issues this time. Oh, and there's only one refueling stop to make this time as well. Um that's good news, to say the least. Um, Simon Patterson, hashtag AvGeek. Um, so, <laughs> thumbs up on the screen in front of me. So, uh, we've lost our championship leader from the top of the pile. Anea Bastianini is now third. Alicia Spargro leads the MotoGP World Championship after three rounds. He's got a seven-point lead ahead of Brad Binder. Bit of an invisible man yesterday. Um the works Ducati team are still yet to score a constructor's point. They are eighth of the nine teams on the grid in the team's championship. Banyaya was nowhere in qualifying. He came in, he was shaking his head. There was a bit of a straight talk moment between Tardotsi and Banyaya in the garage and he went out and he nearly qualified from Q1 through to Q2, but he didn't by one place. He started 13th on the grid. Again, another ride of the day yesterday. He started 13th, finished 5th. But things cannot be good at Factory Ducati. They're just, they're just floating. Yeah, things things very very clearly aren't good, and it's my my current theory is that the twenty two Ducati is just a bit too peaky when it comes to setup, and that when the setup's good, the bike's really good, but when you get it just a little bit wrong, nothing works, and everything is terrible, and maybe that's why it, it's taking Banyaya so long to zero in on his ulti- uh, on his optimal package for the for most of the season, and it's why there was no like obvious mechanical issue with with Jack Miller yesterday right and he had one of his worst races at Ducati really he was just not competitive at all and got got stuck behind Miguel Oliveira couldn't do anything about him so 
Yeah, it's a it's a trying time for Ducati. It, it's you know it seems that whatever has changed in the off season hasn't exactly entirely come off because you look at you look at okay, Ineo Bastianini didn't have a great day, but you look at where Marco Bezzecchi was with the with last year's bike, and you have to wonder. But it was semi expected that the twenty two package wasn't going to be at its ultimate potential right away, and they're lucky that. The championship right now is just complete nonsense. It's it's not clear who's in what echelon. <laughs> Nothing makes any sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean they they need to they need to get on top of that. And I think Banyaya's Banyaya's ride was a good starting point. He had a really really wretched Saturday and then got mm. it right on Sunday. But but the Miller side is worrying. But obviously the the the, the most encouraging part is Jorge Martin was great all weekend, and. You know, we sort of expected something like that at the start of the season that he's often going to be the lead Ducati. So that's that's an interesting dynamic to, to follow right yeah. now. And Jorge Martin, the leading Ducati on the grid as a rookie on that bike, on, on a big bike at the track. Because last time he was there, he wasn't yeah. on a big bike. So round and round it goes. Yeah. Again, he just gets stronger and stronger. Uh, Suzuki, they had a bit of a burn from the stern as always towards the end of the race. I, we all thought that Rins was going to catch those leading two. He's obviously happy that he's back on the podium. He hasn't thrown it down the road. He's going to a track where he's won before at Texas this weekend. Um, they're leading, by the way, the team's championship, bit by bit. Uh, so, Suzuki. Uh, I mean, this looks very much like the 2020 title that they won in in, in certain respects, but I'm, I'm still not not a believer, really. I, I never thought that Rins was quite going to be able to, to catch the leading two because I think Aleish always had a bit more in, in his reserve. And generally, they just still don't don't qualify very well, and they're never... We've never quite seen them be the the very best bike on the grid so far in 2022. Like, they're always there or thereabout, but not quite. They're in, in better shape than Yamaha, but I'm not... I'm not sure this is enough for title contention unless the season just continues to be as wonky as it has been. Um, I, I Speaking to the writers yesterday, uh, they disagree. Um, because... They also disagreed last year. No, I know, I know. You know, but, you know. But, yeah. but I understand their logic yeah. for it. Um, this has not been by any stretch of the imagination. This hasn't even been the unusual start to the season we expected it to be. This has just been completely wild. Uh, but they've they've come out of it as the team that has done least bad from it being completely wild. They've been relatively consistent where no one else has. They've been there or thereabouts at lots of different types of tracks, even when things were bad or, you know, they, they've done okay. Um one mayor is confident that he's built a base that uh, that he can take to Europe now and fight from. And the other, the thing that he was most specifically delighted about yesterday was that he had a really, really strong like final six or seven laps of the race. He almost caught Rins. He almost got onto the podium. He has like one mayor being strong in the last laps of the race is what won him a title basically in 2020. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. KTM second in the World Championship at the moment with Brad Binder. He had a bit of an invisible race in my eyes yesterday, but he's chugged away. He's seven points back of Espargaro. Uh, they've won a race, of course, last time out with Miguel. They had a podium at the opening race of the year with Brad. Uh, happy are they? I didn't read anything about them after the race. I think I think they're trying not to. I think they're trying to hide just how happy they are, or at least that's that might be me reading into it because I think I think Binder has had a, an exceptional start of the season given what's went on, the points that he's accrued, the fact that he's second in the standings despite having had two major mishaps which is the, the right height device failure in Manzalika. And then this weekend in qualifying, he upshifted on his fastest lap when he should have downshifted. And the lap went, you know, lap went kaput. He could have started like third or fourth and fifth otherwise, and it would have been a completely different race. He, honestly, he apps so far from the evidence we've seen this year, he absolutely has the pace to be up the front or towards the front every, every weekend. And he seems to have more or less sorted out the qualifying situation. So... I'm being maybe a little bit too bullish, but honestly, I came away from the weekend thinking like, ooh, we have a new shadow title contender here in Brad because he managed to put up serious points despite having had two things go really, really wrong across those those three weekends. He didn't have as many things go wrong uh, compared with the With You Yamaha RNF squads. Uh, problems on the grid. Davizioso came into the gara, into the pits, had to uh, lose three laps. What was all that about? Um, bizarrely, uh, on the grid, both of their tire warmer generators caught fire, as in both riders. I would imagine that that means someone has done something terribly wrong rather than they've had two sudden, uh, miraculous electronic failures at once in two different generators. Um, they put two stroke in it, did they? Uh, well, for a company that's sponsored by a generator manufacturer, it's not a great look. Um... Uh, Simon Simon will attest I described it as Dantin Ducati vibes, yeah. which is maybe a little bit harsh. But I got a, quite but, a good laugh out of that. Um, yeah. And then uh, Dovi messed up activating his front right height device. Um, he said that there's like two levers you have to click. He forgot to click one of them, which a writer of Dovi's experience really shouldn't be doing. He came into the pits to have the problem fixed. And basically someone went, oh, yeah, click. And that fixed the problem. Um, which is he was in the pits for a bit long for that yeah yeah yeah. I'd imagine that they tried to fix it mechanically before realizing that their writer had done something really stupid (laughs) I thought I I saw him getting on the second bike and somebody went don't you dare do that because he's not allowed to (laughs) terribly he's not had a he's not had a good season poor Dovi he's you know because I think whatever general competitiveness we expected of him we expected him to be far clearer of Darren Binder which hasn't really happened so far darren's been shooting very much above expectations but that that also means that dovi has been 
well below, unfortunately. Hopefully he can get it right because we want to see a strong Dovizioso on the Yamaha. But I don't know, is there anybody strong on the Yamaha right now? Uh, there are people uh... who can be strong on the Yamaha on occasion, but I can't see Dovi being strong on it this season. Yeah. Yeah. What was Quattararo like in his post-race debrief? Was he all hiding Angry. from all the kitchen knives? Angry. Angry with Yamaha. Angry with a lack of rear grip. Um, angry yeah. with the standard Yamaha complaint in conditions like these that Yamaha riders have been angry about for... Well, I've been in the championship since 2016. So, um, yeah. The, the the usual complaints, you know. The, the bike just doesn't work when the tag temperature goes up and, and things get a bit greasy and slippery. Mark Marquez unable to ride in Argentina. He's still got his double vision, the damaged muscle that around his eye after the accident that befell him in Indonesia just over two weeks ago. Uh, we're recording this on the Monday after Argentina. We're still waiting to hear whether or not he will be going to Texas. Uh, You've got to believe, Val. He'll, do, he'll, he'll walk across the Atlantic to get to Kota. No, I mean, I wouldn't say I believe because he either has double vision or doesn't. And if he still does have double vision, he can't ride a bike. I mean, he might show up to Kota to see if it clears up for the start of Friday or whatever. But I mean, if it, that the all the noise has been pretty positive that it's like it's recovering a lot faster than than the previous time. So we we don't yet know if he's if he's scheduled to be there or not. But I assume that. If it's at all clear, if it's a lot at all close to clearing up or feels close to clearing up, he'll at least make the trip. But we we don't know because the last time, obviously, this took several months, and even if it's even it's an expedited recovery, you still have to wonder whether this is just too soon. But obviously, he wants to make Kota because Kota's Kota's his place. Honestly, even Mark with double vision at Kota would probably win, but for safety reasons, he obviously can't do that. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Uh, Simon, do you believe that uh, what Val just said, that even Mark with double vision can win at Kota? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, there was a picture this week of him juggling, um, which is actually something I can't do with with two functioning eyes. So it's obviously not, you know, all joking aside, it's obviously not as bad as it has Well, maybe it helps. We don't know. Yeah, well, I doubt it, because remember... (laughs) Remember the last time the guy couldn't get off the sofa without feeling sick? Yeah. So um, yeah. it, it isn't as bad as last time. Like we, we do know that the problem isn't as severe as it has been. Um, but whether or not we see him this weekend, whether or not, you know, yeah, I have no idea. I asked Stefan Bradle last night and he was like, no, I don't know. They're not telling me anything, which probably isn't true. But nonetheless, Honda aren't ready to make a call on it just yet. Bradle did say he's going to code it regardless, either to work with HRC or to ride for HRC, but he doesn't know which one it is at the minute. And if that doesn't work, he can do his Red Bull TV service TV stuff and get paid anyway. I mean, what a win-win for He'll the guy. He'll get paid either way. <laughs> exactly. Total win-win yeah. for the guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, well, Kota uh, has had a little bit of resurfacing since we were last there, Simon. Hopefully some of the bumps will be taken out of the big track. It won't be perfect, but it'll be better. Let's not forget that the last time we were at Coda was only in October and riders said that if it wasn't fixed, then they wouldn't race it this time around because it was so dangerous. Um, Massimo Revola also said last night, reminded me last night that the last time we came here, Aleish crashed five times because their bike hits bumps. 
Uh, and he was the only Aprilia last year because Maverick Vinales wasn't racing because um, he, he was at home after the, the tragic death of his cousin. Um, so it's not a pleasant place for them, uh, for any of them. Um, we need to see what work has been done to fix those bumps. The The problem, unfortunately, is that uh, the nature of the Texan soil underneath the track means that the bumps will always be an issue because the, the, the soil moves and subsides and and creates problems. Um, we won't know until Friday morning is the honest answer. Um, what just you know, how much work has been done to make things better? Well, we look forward to it. Uh, I love these races. Uh, for us based here in Europe, it gives us a uh, a day out and about, and then an evening to gorge on the races and the qualifying the day before as well. Uh, safe trip, Simon. Make sure you get on the right cargo plane, will you? <laughs> I know you want to save money, but there's a I, limit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, 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 there are some Moto3 teams who probably would fly their mechanics air freight if they thought they could just to save a few euros. Uh, that will, I'm afraid, never change. Never change. There's, there's, a, there's a complete podcast in stories of teams trying to save money, but oh, yeah. not yet. Uh, Val, uh, you're looking forward to this weekend. Who do you think is going to win? Go on then. Million gazillion dollar question. Lordy, that's just not very nice. I know it I, isn't. Like, I, 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 crap. Um, uh, and it is 2022, uh, so I'm going to go for Luca Marini. There you go. Banya. All right, right. then. Shawan Mir. Okay, good. I hope we're all right. <laughs> okay, uh, Simon's got a dash. Val's got to scribble away for the dash race.com website as well as Simon. In the meantime, keep in touch with everything that's going on with Formula One, with MotoGP, through the race.com. From Val, Simon, and myself, Toby, enjoy your week. We'll speak to you after Texas. The Athletic.